الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الذين يحبون أن تشيع الفاحشة في الذين آمنوا لهم عذاب أليم في الدنيا والآخرة وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا ظهر الزنا والربا في قوم فقد أحلوا بأنفسهم عذاب الله أو كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم Most suspected mothers and sisters Very briefly first just to touch on one aspect in terms of the Mubarak time that we are passing our topic is something apart from that that mashallah we have been blessed by Allah Ta'ala with this very great and Mubarak time the days are already ticking we have just one or two days left of this very auspicious time of the 10 days of Zulhijjah and then all the virtues of these days mashallah we would have heard and would have been making an effort to take the maximum of it then comes the day of Eid the day of Eid there is great merit and great virtues mentioned for this as well the night of Eid the person who keeps the night of Eid alive by making ibadat Allah Ta'ala will keep his heart alive on the day when hearts will die that is the day of Qiyamah or when in dunya fitnas are overcoming people's hearts such a person's heart will be in place such a person will be saved from being engulfed by these fitnas then the day of Eid comes so the virtues of this day we are familiar with and the hadith of Nabi Wasallam that a person cannot there is no action more beloved to Allah Ta'ala on the day of Eid Al-Adha than the slaughtering of the Qurbani animals so this is such a great amal on that day somebody makes one khatam of the Quran Sharif it's an excellent thing very great but on the day of Eid the sacrificing of the Qurbani animal is even greater than that. Somebody makes nafil salah the whole day. What a great amal this is. But on the day of Eid, the sacrificing of the Qurbani animal is greater than that as well. And likewise, all the other nawafil we can think about, as much as they are very great in themselves, but the slaughtering of the Qurbani animal is even greater. But in one hadith, Rasulullah mentions the same virtue, that there is nothing more beloved to Allah Ta'ala on the day of Eid than the slaughtering of the Qurbani animals. But one exception has been mentioned. This is the riwayat of At-Targheeb At-Targheeb. In this riwayat, Nabi Salaam says, إِلَّا أَن تَكُونَ سِلَةٌ تُوسَلْ Except that if a person is joining family ties, that has a merit beyond even the Qurbani. Now the Qurbani on that day, the slaughtering of the Qurbani animals, is greater than all the other amal that can be done, nawafil, that can be done on this day. The whole day a person is in nafil, the whole day the person is making tilawat, he made one khatam, maybe two khatams in the day. Whatever other amal he can do, greater than that is the qurbani. And greater than the qurbani also is the maintaining of family ties. So this is something to bear in mind and to take the steps to maintain these relationships this is something that has been emphasized very greatly in the Quran Sharif, in the Ahadith of Rasulullah So this is one aspect which is not commonly 
understood or known that this is the virtue also that's mentioned side by side with the virtue of Qurbani. And as, as in a manner that this is even greater. So in any case, Allah Ta'ala accept whatever ibadat each one has been making, will make. Allah Ta'ala make it easy for one and all. Allah Ta'ala accept the Qurbani of each person, the Hujjaj who are performing Hajj, Allah Ta'ala accept their Hajj. But for us to take the lessons and to bring these things in our life. As far as our topic of discussion today is concerned, then it is how to avoid the divine wrath, the wrath of Allah wa Ta'ala. So to understand this, that this dunya, Allah Ta'ala has a system. And the system that Allah Ta'ala has placed in dunya is the system of cause and effect. There are various things which are the cause and each one has an effect. In day-to-day life we understand this very simply. A person is hungry, so he eats something. So his eating is the means, that is the cause. The effect of that is that his hunger will get satisfied. He's thirsty, he drinks something. The drinking is the means. The thirst gets satisfied, that's the effect. Fire, fire is a means, it's a cause. Its effect is that it will burn. That is the norm, that is the standard procedure. Exceptions are exceptions. The fire didn't burn Ibrahim on the command of Allah Ta'ala. But nobody takes a chance with putting his hand in the fire. He knows it will burn. Has Khalid bin Walid he recited the dua Bismillah alladhi la yadurru ma'asmihi shay'un fil awdi wa la fi sama wa huwa sami'ul alim and he drank the poison that that enemy was giving him and nothing happened to him. But nobody takes a chance drinking poison that I will also read the dua and it will nothing will happen to me the system in dunya is that if a person drinks poison, then that poison will have its effect. The exception, Allah Ta'ala sometimes manifests his qudrat, that's, a, that's the exception. You don't go by the exceptions, you go by the rule. So this is the general system in terms of day-to-day life in dunya. And just as the system exists in terms of all these things that we see, the fire and the water and the food and whatever else goes with it. Likewise, there's a system and the same cause and effect system between our a'mal and the conditions that prevail upon us. This is something which is also very clear from the Quran Sharif, from the ahadith of Rasulullah That there's a direct link between our a'mal and between and in the, the effects that come in the form of the various conditions. In the Quran Sharif, there are many incidents Allah Ta'ala mentions about the people of the past and then what punishments came upon them, those are mentioned. Allah Ta'ala then gives the conclusion of it that these punishments came due to what they used to do. Their actions brought it down. Allah Ta'ala gave them, put upon them poverty and fear. Why? Their actions brought it down. لَقَدْ كَانَ لِسَبَئِنْ فِي مَسْكَنِهِمْ آيَةً Allah Ta'ala speaks about the people of Saba, lengthy incident in the Qur'an Sharif, and how Allah Ta'ala blessed them with innumerable bounties and ni'mats. But then, فَكَفَرُوا بِأَنْعُمِ اللَّهِ They were ungrateful to Allah Ta'ala for His bounties, so that brought about this condition. That are brought about the fear, the poverty, all the dis- difficulties. 
In the Hadith Sharif, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in one Hadith Sharif says that إِنَّ الرَّجُلَ لَيُحْرَمُ الرِّزْقِ بِالذَّمِّ يُصِيبُهُ That a person is deprived of rizq because of the sin that he has committed. In one riwayat it is mentioned that sometimes the rizq is being descended. And while it is being descended, the person started getting involved in some sin. As a result of which, that rizq is uplifted. That is the negative side. On the positive side, Allah Ta'ala says, وَأْمُرْ أَهَلَكَ بِالصَّلَاةِ وَاسْطَبِرْ عَلَيْهَا لَا نَسْأَلُكَ رِزْقًا نَحْنُ نَرْزُقُكَ Command your household with salah, be punctual upon it yourself. And Allah Ta'ala says, لَا نَسْأَلُكَ رِزْقًا We don't ask you for risk, we give you risk. On the one side is the command of salah, and side by side the mention of risk from Allah Ta'ala. What is the lesson in this? That salah becomes the means of gaining one's risk. So salah, righteous actions, this brings down good conditions, this brings down a person's risk. Sins, this deprives a person of risk. So this is the clear system that is in the Allah Ta'ala's plan, Allah Ta'ala has created the system that when a person will engage in righteous actions, there will be good conditions. When a person will be engaged in evil, in sin, then this will bring down calamities, it will bring down hardships. In one narration, it is mentioned, Abdullah bin Umar reports, that once Nabi Wasallam addressed the Muhajireen, and he said to them, Ya Ma'ashar al-Muhajireen, Khamsun idab tulitum bihin, wa'udhu billahi antudrikuhun. Nabi Wasallam addressed the Muhajireen and said, look, there are five things which I really fear that you must ever get involved in. And I seek Allah Ta'ala's protection that you ever have to encounter this. Now, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is seeking Allah Ta'ala's protection. Can we imagine how dangerous this would be? And then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam explains the five aspects. Out of those five, one aspect that he mentioned was that لَمْ تَظْهَرِ الْفَاحِشَةُ فِي قَوْمٍ قَدْتُ حَتَّى يُعْلِنُوا بِهَا إِلَّا فَشَا فِيهِمُ الطَّاعُونَ that when people will get involved in immorality, shamelessness, and they will engage in this openly, there will be open defiance, so to say, of Allah Ta'ala. Openly people will engage in immorality and vices. The end result of this will be that there will be such plagues and illnesses that will then become rife that people would have never heard about these things, in their, for, their forefathers would have never heard about such illnesses and such diseases. This would be something that had never been heard before, but that is, this will be the result of the shamelessness, the immorality, the vice that has become prevalent. In this time and age, there are so many of these diseases that have become common, and everybody hears about it on a daily basis, but our forefathers had never heard about it. And these Diseases are already foretold to us in this Hadith Sharif that this will be the result of immorality, of vice, of shamelessness. So this is something if a person has his eye on the Ahadith of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, then he is not shocked by the results because he can see that this result brought, was brought about by what is already mentioned in the Hadith Sharif that if a community will get involved in this kind of lifestyle, then they will bring this upon themselves. So when any person knows what's going on in society, 
and then he sees what's happening to society, he is not amazed in the sense that he can link the two very easily. That this was foretold already, that if this happens, that will be the end result. This is the cause, that is the effect. Then further in the Hadith Sharif, Nabi Islam says that when people will cheat in weight and measure, weight and measure is not the only thing in which this is confined to, but it is broader than that, all kinds of cheating. When people will start cheating, then they will be overcome by famine, by rampant inflation, by oppression. Everybody complains about prices being very high, inflation and oppression that is being meted upon the Muslims, all the kinds of difficulties. But again, what is very important to reflect upon is that to what extent has this cheating become rife in our communities? Then in the Hadith, Nabi Salaam further says, وَلَمْ يَمْنَعُوا زَكَاةَ أَمْوَالِهِمْ إِلَّا مُنِعُوا الْقَطْرِ That when people will withhold their zakat, Allah Ta'ala will withhold the rains. And had it not been for the animals, Allah Ta'ala wouldn't have allowed one drop of rain to come. Many a times, our mothers and sisters have jewelry, etc. And the zakat of that is not correctly calculated. Sometimes some amount is haphazardly given. If it was overpaid, well and good, the balance will become sadaqah. But many a times in that haphazard payment, many a times there is no payment of zakat. Sometimes there is haphazard payment as a result of which the full amount that was due was not paid. It has been underpaid. Now, withholding zakat, whether it is totally being withheld or partly being withheld due to deliberately not paying it or due to haphazard payment, all that falls in this category. And as a result, then Allah Ta'ala holds back the rains and the severe droughts. We know the conditions that we are facing throughout the country and many parts of the world. What is important for each individual to reflect upon ourselves is my zakat in order. If I discharge whatever is due upon me. So this is the aspect of zakat which becomes a means. If the zakat is not discharged correctly, it also becomes a means of these difficulties. Not paying the zakat is the cause and the difficulties and hardships that come about is the effect. Then further in the same hadith, Nabi Islam says that when people will break their pledge and covenant with Allah Ta'ala and Nabi Wasallam, then Allah Ta'ala will place upon them enemies who will rob them, who will loot them. And this will become the norm, this will become the order of the day. We know what is a crime situation in our country, what kind of fear we face, what kind of insecurity. But at the same time, we need to reflect that this is the effect, what is the cause? Have we fulfilled our pledge with Allah Ta'ala? Let us consider our salah, that is part of the pledge, a very fundamental part. Is our salah in order? Do we perform our salah in time? Is it in good time? Is it performed correctly? Is it performed diligently? Or is it that it's the last thing that we do in a rush and everything else carries on thereafter? Then what about the rest of the aspects of life? Our mu'amalat, our dealings, our mu'asharat, our social life, how we deal with our spouses, how we deal with our parents, with our children, with our neighbors, with our family members in general, how we deal with all people, what is our akhlaq? Now these are all parts of the pledge we made with Allah Ta'ala that we will follow His commands in everything. Now, when this pledge with Allah Ta'ala and the pledge with Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 
that we will be his followers. We will not follow the ways of Yahud and Nasara. We will not follow the ways of his enemies. So now how much of that pledge are we upholding? Now when that pledge is broken, that is the cause. And the effect, the effect is the difficulties, the hardships, the calamities that come. Then there are many things which happen, but often it is not possible for the average person to be able to understand the link. It's there, it's clear, it is very, very glaring, but the person doesn't manage to make that link that this is the effect and I myself have created the cause. I did this and that and this is now the end result. But Allah Ta'ala has made the system in dunya that these conditions prevail as a result of the kind of actions that a person does. So what is the important thing now is that we have to reflect upon all these actions of ours and see how many things we have done in our lives that bring about the difficult conditions upon us. So the summary of this is that sin, sin in general brings about calamities, brings about hardships. But then there is something which is worse than sin. Now sin, we understand what is sin all about. And something can be worse than sin. What can be worse than sin? Worse than sin is open sinning, blatant sinning. One is a person is committing some sin that is a very serious matter. One is the technical classification that there are some sins which are major, some sins which are minor. That is a technical classification which is in its place. That's an academic discussion. But in reality, for a mu'min, everything is very great. Every sin is very major. In terms of practical day-to-day life, for him, every sin is major. The difference between a major sin and a minor sin is simply this, like a huge fire and a burning ember. Now, nobody ever thinks about it in this way, that this burning ember, this little coal that is burning, this is not like that big huge fire, that whole forest is on fire. This is very small, this is a tiny fraction, you can't even compare the fraction that this is. It's 0,01% of that. So it doesn't matter, this I can put it in my pocket. This I can hold it in my hand. What's the difference? A very small thing. It's a spark only. The person realizes that the damage that this little ember can do is the same that damage that that fire will do which is burning the whole forest down. That might burn something in seconds. This might take maybe 10 minutes. But the end result in both will be destruction. So that is the way to view the difference between major and minor sins. But in any case, when a person, Allah forbid, got caught up in some sin, but there's some kind of regret, there's some remorse, the person is actually trying to cover it up, which itself shows there's some kind of shame, there's some kind of embarrassment. That embarrassment itself is a kind of remorse. So inshallah, there's very great hope that there will be, this person will turn to Tawbah, this person will repent, this person will come back to Allah Ta'ala because he understands that this is wrong. What becomes very dangerous is when a person starts openly sinning. That is a kind of defiance. Like somebody advises another person that look, don't do this. So one is somebody's response would be that, okay, sorry, maaf, what I did was wrong. Or he'll keep quiet. So that person too, he's keeping quiet, but he understands, okay, what I did was wrong. And then you get some people who would retort, who are you to tell me? It's my life. I'll do as I want. And then he, just to prove his point, 
or to show that he is not concerned, then he goes and does the same thing again, openly. Now it's obvious that that person's response and the person who kept quiet also is worlds apart. If this is a parent and child situation and the child responds in that way, that child will be really, if the parent has that uh, authority, that child will be in big trouble. Or if it's some senior, this person will be in major trouble. This is open defiance. Open defiance, this attracts even severe consequences. Likewise, open sinning, this is worse than sin. And Imam Hadith, Nabi Sallallahu highlights this. That, Kullu ummati mu'afan illa that everyone in my ummah, in other words, who has committed some mistake, some sin, and then he feels that regret, that remorse, so obviously he will then come to Tawbah. So everyone in my ummah will be forgiven. Tawbah is necessary, but when he makes the Tawbah, he will get forgiven. Illa al-mujahireen. Nabi Islam says, except the open sinners. Why they won't be forgiven? Because most of the time, these open sinners don't even make Tawbah. Because they regard what they dream is fine. They don't see anything wrong with it. And this becomes the normal response when somebody advises the person about what he's involved in openly. He says, I don't see anything wrong in it. But to see something wrong, you need to have eyes also. Sometimes a person is blind and he says he cannot see anything wrong in it. You see, because you are blind. If you had vision, then you'd be able to see where's the wrong. Or where's the harm. Or what is lying in your way. Where's the snake and scorpion? But if the person is blind, he cannot see any snake or any scorpion. He cannot make out the difference whether he's putting his hand in front of a snake or a scorpion or whether it's something beneficial. He cannot make out the difference. So, this open sinning, this is extremely dangerous. Nabi Islam says that this is, these are the people who won't get forgiven. And then further, in the Hadith Sharif, Nabi Islam then gives one kind of open sinning that takes place. One manner in which this open sinning happens, that a person sometimes in the night commits a sin. But Allah Ta'ala out of His grace and mercy concealed it. So now the person committed the sin, nobody else knew about it, Allah Ta'ala concealed it. And then he wakes up in the morning and he starts discussing it. ثُمَّ يُسْبِحُ يَكْشِفُ سَتْرَ اللَّهِ he wakes up in the morning and then he himself tears open the veil that Allah Ta'ala had cast over that sin. Now this Nabi Islam says is part of this mujahara, part of this open sinning, which is worse than sin itself. One is the sin the person committed and now the discussion of the sin is a sin in itself. The person went somewhere to some haram place, now he's talking about it. I went to the casino, I went to see that movie. I did this, I did that. Na'uzubillahi min zalik. Now that is a sin in itself. And that is now an open sin. And by discussing these evils, he is now bringing about that atmosphere, that kind of environment where others are getting now tempted, or others are getting influenced. This is something which Allah Ta'ala has warned about in the Quran Sharif. That, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُحِبُّونَ أَن تَشِيعَ الْفَاحِشَةُ فِي الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ That those who like to see this indecency and those who wish to have this immorality and shamelessness to spread it in the 
people in the Ummah, Allah Ta'ala warns about it, لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ For them is a dreadful punishment fit dunya in this world and in the hereafter. Now, when a person is talking about the evil, so he's putting ideas in other people's minds now. And the next person now, Allah forbid if he has weak iman, if he's got a strong iman, he'll be disgusted. He will be appalled. He will be very, very disturbed that how could this person do such a thing? Why did he, and why is he even talking about it? But a person of weak iman, he will start, his mind will start running in that direction. He will do the same also. Now this is part of this mujahara. The other is that a person openly goes in the front of everybody and in public and starts committing haram and sin. That is even worse also. But a part of this mujahara is this, that a person did something and now he's advertising it. Now let us reflect upon our condition, our society, our times. The social media has become a form of this mujahara. People covered what not, and then they deface themselves on Facebook. They now advertise openly that sin. This is what I did, this is where I went, and this is how things happen here and there. And all this Instagram, which is like more like instant haram, that a person has committed what not, and now he's putting it up for the whole, one is the sin of photography, and then this display of the person's sin for the whole world to see what went on and all the kinds of evil and filth. And then on top of that, as these things progress, unfortunately progress, this word, progress is in the wrong place here, but progress meaning get worse. Then people become even proud about that sin that they committed and which they displayed and they will even defend it. They will even defend the evil that was done. Recently, there were some articles published about some of these things were happening in some of the cities where on occasions, weddings, etc., people were going, women were going to the makeup artists. Who are the makeup artists? Non-Muslim males. Whether it's a Muslim male too, it doesn't make any difference. And it's a non-Muslim male. And it's obvious this is 100% haram. But now, when these, and then on top of that, the pictures of these things are then pasted everywhere. But when these articles were published that this is a terrible thing, this is a sin, it's a vice. So there were many Muslim women on social media, people brought back these reports, who came out strongly in defense of this sin and vice. That there's no such thing, that this is haram, nauzubillah, that this nothing wrong with it. Now these are the blinds talking about we can't see any snake, we can't see the scorpion. People are, the reports that came, people are posing side by side with the non-Muslim makeup artists and are proud about it. Now this is the height of it. So this is where one thing leads to another and before a person knows it, the person becomes proud over the absurdity, over the sin that the person is committing and the person feels that I have done something great, Nauzubillah. This is what then draws down the wrath of Allah Ta'ala. So this open sinning is worse than the sin itself. This is something that we need to take note about. Another manner of this open sinning, these are just some examples we are taking, is the type of dressing that people adopt. Now one is a person committed some sin in, the, in some very private place, Whatever wrong the person did, there is some degree of 
concerned that what I'm doing is wrong. And inshallah, that itself becomes the means sometimes to the person realizing that what I did was wrong, I need to repent. But when the person becomes very bold about it, and then when many people take it on, and it becomes a norm in society, then nobody even, it crosses the mind also that what is being done is wrong. Among these things is the kind of dressing that has become the norm in many, many quarters. Dressing which if you went 25, 30, 40 years back, then if somebody just out of the blue came in, in our communities obviously, among the Muslim communities, 30, 40 years ago, if somebody suddenly just came wearing such garments, everybody would have been totally shocked. And the elderly of that time would have probably collapsed. And now nobody blinks an eyelid. Why? Because this has become commonplace. And if somebody has to say that this is indecent, this is immoral, people are shocked at that description. How can you call this indecent? How you, can you call this immoral? What's wrong with it? But that is what happens, that things start sliding to such a scale that the wrong starts looking as right, or starts looking as okay. It's fine, it's not too bad, it's fine. But too bad and okay and all that is in our mind, we should be looking at it with the eyes of the Sahabiyats. What would they have to comment had they seen this kind of dressing, this kind of fashion that people latch onto? Allah Ta'ala protect us and save us. This is also part of the open sinning, because this is now worn in front of everyone in public. So this is another aspect that unfortunately has become very rife and which we need to start taking note of it. This is when haya starts sliding. When haya starts sliding, then everything is lost. In the Hadith Sharif, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, That when haya is lost, a person will do what he wants. He will not be concerned what others might think about it. Forget people thinking, you won't worry about what Allah Ta'ala thinks. But Allah Ta'ala Will, how will this turn out on the day of Qiyamah for him? Will Nabi Salaam be happy about it? Let alone that, even people around, what they think, nobody is worried about, he'll do what he wants, he will not be concerned, what will be the end result of it? Because when Haya goes, everything goes. Haya and Iman, these are very closely linked. And when one of the two goes, the other will go with it. When Haya is lost, it's very difficult for Iman to remain also. So, the Haya the loss of haya starts becoming evident in these things first, in dressing, in how one's conduct takes place with people. All these are the things where this lack of haya starts demonstrating itself first. Then the other very important aspect that we wish to discuss, which is part of this open sinning, and which has become a scourge of society. It perhaps may not be happening to the scale that we are talking about in this place, but unfortunately, when things start happening in one place, it starts spreading everywhere. And therefore, we need to be alert, we need to be very, very conscious about these things. And that is the topic that we wish to discuss now, is this open sinning that takes place in the name of weddings. A nikah, a nikah is a great ibadat. It is an ibadat which is a continuous ibadat. A person performing salah, as soon as the salah is performed, that salah is over, that ibadat is over. A person was fasting, he cannot fast in the night. That ibadat of fasting is limited. He will start in the morning, and when the time of Maghrib comes, that fast will finish off. A person gave his zakat, he gave it, it's done. The hujjaj are performing hajj, few days time, the hajj will be over. Nikah, nikah is a continuous ibadat. 
And the person is getting the reward of that ibadat as long as that nikah is enduring. But the aspect and concept of ibadat is almost totally forgotten. That ibadat and the reward of that ibadat will be when it is with that niyat of ibadat. But that aspect and concept of ibadat in nikah, this is like, doesn't even feature anywhere in the whole equation. Whereas had this been, we've been conscious that this is a very great ibadat, then the care would be taken to maintain all the blessings of this ibadat. The care would be taken to make sure that this ibadat is carried out as an ibadat. That this ibadat doesn't become a means, that this ibadat obviously doesn't become a means, but the manner in which this is done does not become the means of drawing down the wrath of Allah Ta'ala. Unfortunately nowadays, weddings have taken a completely different line. And this is what is becoming the means, among other things, of the kind of difficulties and hardships that we are facing. In one hadith, Nabi Salaam has warned that evils will bring down great calamities. So once the Sahaba asked that anahlik wa salihun, will we be destroyed when there are righteous and pious people among us? Nabi Salaam said, Naam, yes, it can happen still. When? When evil becomes rife, when evil becomes rife, then despite the existence of pious people in the community, in the society, but the engulfing adab will still come and can still come. Then those who have been away from the evil themselves, they'll get saved. Maybe in dunya they might also get swept up, but in the akhirat they'll be resurrected in a different way. They'll be resurrected as those who are pious, those who are upright. But in dunya, the engulfing azab will come and sweep everybody away. Despite the existence of pious people. So when this happens, when this evil becomes rife, and unfortunately one of the things that brings the whole cross-section of the community together in evil, in many instances, these are occasions of weddings. Many other instances, some people are involved in something and most are not or a big number involved and big number not involved. But when it comes to weddings, people from across society all get caught up in that evil at that time. And this is why it becomes such a serious situation and therefore we need to just reflect upon what is this nikah all about and what is going on in our lives, in our communities, in our societies. Unfortunately, the concept of ibadat is lost long before. What sin takes place on that wedding occasion, that is still later on. Things already start well before that. And the ways of the Yahud and Nasara are taken wholesale. The sunnah of Rasulullah is totally forgotten. Allah Ta'ala's commands, there is no place for that left. For example, among the customs that take on, these are things borrowed from the Yahud and Nasara obviously. Long before that wedding takes place, is a bridal shower. What is this bridal shower all about? This is a very sophisticated way of begging. One is the beggar that comes to our door, rings the bell, and he asks for some coins. So now we look down upon them, which is not should not be the case. But in any case, we feel that these are very lowly people. They're going around begging. If the person has sufficient means, then it's totally wrong to be begging. 
and a person is desperate, then that's now, that person is entitled to beg. But we don't think good about somebody who is begging. Now that is one kind of beggar, and the other is the sophisticated beggar. That now somebody is getting married, so there will be a bridal shower. What that bridal shower means? That you are invited, but you must come with a gift. Now, if the person doesn't come with a gift, then it will become a big talk. If the person came without a gift, that person also feels it necessary to go with a gift. So what is this? This is a sophisticated way of begging for gifts. Now what is the difference between this beggar and the beggar that rang the bell at the door? Yes, that this one is done very sophisticatedly. It's done in high class. There's all big type of handouts given. And very, in fact, one person mentioned that now it's gone to a f- another level. That when the bridal shower is going to take place, then the person is informed that you can select something that from the list that is being placed at whichever some exclusive store. You don't want to take the names now, somebody will think we're advertising for them. So there's a list already, and that list is at the exclusive store, so you can go select something from there. Now why they say that up front? Don't go and bring something from some China, Chinatown or something. Nobody says it in those words, but now we don't want Chinatown things here now. And all the plasticware and all that we got enough now. Now it must be stainless steel. So now this is begging taken on another level. And then there's a gift registrar. He will now note it down also. Who brought what? All this is destroying. Hadiyah, hadiyah is sunnah. Hadiyah is something to create muhabbat. But the hadiyah that is given due to the pressures of society and to conform to all these kind of formalities, that kind of hadiyah doesn't create any muhabbat. There was one buzrug, he was very ill, so another person was coming to visit him. Now this was in the olden days in India, and as the person was going, he was going on foot, walking through the jungles and so on, so as he's going, he suddenly crossed his mind that I'm going to visit this buzrug, but I didn't take along any hadiyah, it's sunnah to present a hadiyah, I should have brought one hadiyah along. Now he's already en route, so he said, well, fine, now all the twigs that fall off the trees, this is now land for anybody to take what they want from there, the sticks and the branches of trees, etc., people come and chop firewood. So he gathered all these twigs that were dropped on the floor there, and he made one bundle of it, and he carried the bundle along and came away. Now this bundle of sticks, anybody can see for themselves, that this is mufta mal, it is all free. Didn't cost anything. Person picked it up from the roadside. Any case he brought it, he came, he visited the buzrug, and then he presented this hadiyah. How much the hadiyah cost him? Nothing, zero. And everybody knows it's zero. So he presented this gift. But what was in this gift? There was ikhlas. There might not have been any cost, but there was ikhlas in it. And that is why sometimes a smaller gift creates more muhabbat. Because a smaller, inexpensive gift, the person gifting it also doesn't feel I'm doing anything great. I'm giving something great. He also has more ikhlas in it. And the person receiving it also, he receives it in that spirit too. So in any case, he presented this bundle of twigs, this, this little sticks. So that Buzruk called his khadim. And he told him, look, you take this bundle of sticks and keep it aside. He says that the day I pass away, 
the water for my ghusl must be heated by burning these sticks. The ikhlas with which this person has presented this gift, I have hope that inshallah my maghfirat will get made. Now this is when that hadiyah is given with that muhabbat, is given with that ikhlas. And when all these formalities are involved in it, it's just due to the pressures of society, then that doesn't create muhabbat, that creates comments. There'll be some kind of sarcastic remark somewhere down the line. If not in front of you, behind you. So, that is one major problem that has become the norm in all these kind of weddings. Then many a times, the things that go on in a wedding resemble completely a church wedding. Now this is a nikah. It's an ibadat. But this ibadat is now becoming a church wedding and then on top of that we want barakat in it. On top of that we want Allah Ta'ala's blessings and rahmat. We want the couple to have a happy married life. But we want to have that wedding like a church wedding. What is a church wedding? You can open the encyclopedia and read up about wedding, the world book encyclopedia, that the description of a church wedding, among the things that are mentioned there, is that the bride will be walked down the aisle to the altar by either her father or some male relative of the family. Now this hall weddings that take place, and then the bride is walked down by somebody, what is that? All that fanfare and whatever goes with it. And Allah forbid sometimes the person walking her down is a non-mahram. So now he's holding her hand and taking her. So she's going for her nikah committing zina. Because this too is zina of the hand. The Hadith Sharif Nabi Salaam says that it is better for a nail to be driven in your head than you touch somebody who is not permissible for you. To shake hands with a non-mahram, totally haram. So, now this is supposed to be an ibadat. Now the only difference is that is happening in a church and this is happening in a hall. And then this part of the church wedding which is mentioned in this world book is that then the groom will put a ring on the finger of the bride. Is this not all just taken from there from the church? We are going for an ibadat and we are borrowing all the things from the church. And then we are expecting Allah Ta'ala's rahmat to come expecting barakat to come. So, this is something that is totally destroying all the barakat and rahmat and it is creating that kind of difficulties for us in our lives but we don't see that this is the cause, the effect is what we are feeling. Then, these are some of the things, apart from that, other sins that go on, the intermingling that takes place, many places there is just some kind of apology of parda. And if there isn't that, then what happens is that either there's no parda at all, or there's just some kind of makeshift which doesn't serve any purpose. And in some places, what will be done is that there is some <coughs> proper arrangements for parda in one separate section. Now, many times these kind of questions come up, emails come from sisters as well that I am invited to the certain function and while there won't be parda arrangements in the general space but there will be a separate room for those who want to be in parda and those who want to remain away from the intermingling. So is it okay to attend this function? 
But now let us think about it in a different way. What, what is the message we are giving? What is the sum total of all this? The sum total of this is that look, Dean, you don't have place in our wedding. But doesn't matter, we'll make one provision for you in the corner. Dean, you stay in the corner. The way of Rasulullah, you stay in the corner. You don't come and interfere in our affair. Don't come and spoil our fun. So we'll make one provision for you, but you stay in the corner. So we have put Dean in the corner and kept it out of our life. So it's like a how sometimes there is something that's becoming a burden, so the person puts the burden away one side. So Na'uzubillah, it is as if Deen has become a kind of burden. So the laws of Deen are becoming burdensome, so that we confine it one corner. And the rest of it, the rest of it we do what we want. There have been some instances where some sisters have written to ask a question. That there will be complete segregation. There is no intermingling whatsoever that's going to take place. But a sister is asking and she is asking in this manner. But it is very embarrassing to be among women who are dressed in such a way. A woman is embarrassed about being among women who are dressed in a way which is totally shameless. There is no intermingling. But this is a kind of dressing. Is this something that brings down Allah Ta'ala's rahmat? And to be present in that kind of gathering, will that bring any rahmat for anybody? Does it enhance a person's iman in any way to be in such an environment for any period of time? When a person leaves that function, does a person come out with his iman boosted in some way? So, this is something which is a major problem. Putting deen in the corner, this is no solution. This is actually a kind of insult to deen. That look, you don't have space in our life, but we'll give you one small corner somewhere. Then the amount of wastage that goes on, the deco that, the amount of money that is spent on deco, hundreds of thousands of rand sometimes, on flowers, one person, he, in a kind of self-praise, he says, look, I told my wife very, very clearly, that look, we only got 30,000 rands for the flowers. So she pulled it off in 30,000 rands. So now he was like actually hoping or expecting some kind of uh, shabash and mashallah, you know, excellent, only 30,000. And he was thinking that this is something praiseworthy because others are spending 100,000. Others are spending more than that also. So he felt he did a very great thing that he only spent 30,000 on flowers. People don't have flour to make their roti to eat. They don't have flour to eat bread in their home for that night. We have money for flowers, which will be thrown away afterwards. Money for cards. One one card, which is worth 40 rands, 50 rands, and a thousand cards. 500 cards of that amount. People are sleeping on cardboard. And this amount of money on one one card, whereas a simple message to invite somebody would have been good enough. A phone call, that would have been good enough. This brings down the wrath of Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala protect us and save us. That this is something, this wastage, this is a very dangerous thing. Allah Ta'ala says, Kulu wa shrabu wa la tusrifu. Eat and drink, but don't waste. Wastage, this takes away the barakat. And as the wastage starts increasing, as these, these weddings start going in, a, the competition sets in, then the wastage increases. Because now it has to be a theme wedding. So now the theme wedding, everything has to be done in that style. 
So now all the expenses that will go into creating the theme wedding, and the theme will be anything and everything but the sunnah. The theme of a mu'min's wedding, his nikah, is the sunnah. And the theme of the Muslim wedding, which Nabi Sallallahu taught is, Inna Adam and Nikahi Baraka, that the nikah which has the greatest barakat in, is that nikah wherein the least expenses have been incurred. That is the theme of a mu'min's nikah, of his wedding. That it is a simple affair, it is something that is done without extravagance, without wastage, especially obviously, and without sins being involved in there. Nowadays we hear about, besides the music, there's dancing taking place, and then on top of that, all this is videoed, and for the whole world to see it, this is now sin upon sin, and this invites the wrath of Allah. Ta'ala. The issue would be for us to think about, many a times when this discussion takes place, so we in our hearts and minds say, well, alhamdulillah, Allah's fazal, and indeed it's Allah Ta'ala's fazal only, that I didn't have a wedding of this nature, or I didn't conduct my children's wedding in this manner, so this doesn't apply to me. Yes, the doing of these things, Allah Ta'ala's fazal, we got saved, then that's something to make shukar upon, but it doesn't finish off there. One is doing these things oneself, the other is attending a function where these things are happening. Neither is it permissible to do this on one's own accord, nor is it permissible to attend a function where all this is happening. Hazrat Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala an, on one occasion he was invited to a walima. So the walima is sunnah. So he went, but as he got to the venue, he heard something which was now incorrect. Somebody was either singing something or some kind of musical instrument was being played or whatever. From outside he heard this happening. He took a U-turn right from there. And he started returning. So somebody saw him that he was already almost there. And now he's taking a U-turn and going away. And he came to him and asked him what happened. Malaka Rajata. What happened? Are you going back? So he replied and said that I heard Rasulullah saying, Man kathara sawada qawmin fahuwa minhum. The one who adds to the numbers of a people. The one who adds to the glory of an event. How he's going to add to the glory of the event? By his presence. Imagine that there is a wedding taking place. They invited a thousand people and theme of unheard of and the deco and whatever else, everything very, very uh, better than everybody else. Now the time of the wedding came and nobody attended. Five people came. Ten people came. So now, will that become the talk of the town? That this was a wedding of its kind. That deco, nobody had managed to do that kind of deco. The theme was unique. They'll be so embarrassed about it that only five people came. They'll be very upset. They'll be heartbroken. They will... You won't find any of those wedding discussions anywhere on social media. They themselves discussing anything. They would be terribly upset with everybody. Why? Nobody came. So who made the event? The people who attended. The people who attended, they made the event. So therefore, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, The one who adds to the numbers of a people, the one who adds to the glory of that event, then he is one among them. Whatever sin they will get, he will get. Because he added to the glory of that event. So Abdullah bin Mas'ud immediately took a turn and went away. I can't be part of this. It's not permissible for me. Adamul Hudur 
ان مجلس فيه المحظور ولا علي قاري رحمه الله عليه المرقات هي deduces this from the ahadith that it is not permissible to attend a gathering where there is the disobedience of Allah Ta'ala taking place. This is something that is not permissible. The question comes sometimes on this that now this person is a close family member and if I don't go we'll be breaking family ties. When it comes to the issue of now staying away from some haram event at that time a person thinks about family ties. And for trivial things, we break up family ties at the time we don't think about it. Somebody said something little bit hurtful to us, we break the family tie. At that time, nobody asked that, what about breaking family ties? Whereas that's not something to do. We shouldn't be breaking family ties. Neither are we being asked to break family ties on the occasion of somebody's wedding. But our first tie and first relationship, first allegiance is to Allah. That is the first tie that we have to maintain. That is the first link that we have to keep up. We will not break our link with Allah Ta'ala at the ex- we will not maintain the link with others at the expense of the link with Allah Ta'ala. That will come first. Then if somebody is bent on still doing the wrong, so we can't join him. And if that results in some break of relationship, then that sin is on him because he is breaking it. If there are five people, five friends, and all are now old friends, so out of that five now, four of them decide they're going to go to some haram place. They're going to go to the casino. They're going to go to some place of sin. The one person says, look, I'm not coming. They say, look, you are breaking friendship now. So now what will any sane person say? Well, they advise that one person that, look, your four friends are going. Now they're going to go be going and gambling and drinking and doing all kinds of other haram and... But they are your old friends, you need to join them now. You can't break this friendship. If anybody gives this kind of advice, then we will say that this person needs to go and have his head checked up. That those who are bent on going to the haram place, then they are the ones who are breaking the friendship. Because that friendship can be only on righteousness. So they are the ones who are going and doing the wrong, they are responsible for the breaking of the friendship. Likewise, that person who is bent on conducting his function in a haram way, he is the one breaking. But we are not being told to break ties. We will still go and visit the person long before that wedding. Go and give him du'as to no problem. Go and make that the means of trying to give him some advice. But to attend the haram function, that's not permissible. That's not in order. And the very important thing is that the heads of families, the heads of families, if they take a stand, the elders of the families, they take a stand that this place, this function is not correct, I'm not going. When they will take a stand, this will filter down to others. And many a times, the old and elderly people, the senior people, who are often forgotten all of the times, but suddenly when it comes to a function, now everybody remembers them. But if this function is not in order and they say, look, I can't come for this, then others will open their eyes also. So this is something that we need to take note of, that these evils that are taking place in society, the kind of difficulties and calamities they bring, this is just a very, very small discussion that we have had. There are many other issues. But just to finish off on one lesson, there was a very great alim of our recent past, Hazrat Mawla Abul Hassan Ali Nadwi Rahmatullah And he was a person of very high caliber, 
when he passed away, they even had his janazah salah performed in absentia. This is something which is permissible according to the Hanbali mazhab. So it was done according to that mazhab in both in Makkah Mukarramah, in the Haram Sharif and in Madinah Munawarah, in the Haramain Sharifain. They performed his janazah salah. He passed away in India. Now this was the respect and honor he had even among the Arab ulama. And even among all of Akabir of the recent past, they all had a great high regard for him. So, in the early 60s, 60s, 1961, he visited Burma. And at that time, the Muslims in Burma, they were living, really living it up. They were extremely wealthy, and he was there for a period of time, and he attended their functions, he attended, meaning the dawahs that they were giving, and then he got to know what's going on, how things are being done, whatever else. And eventually, when he was about to leave, he gave one talk. Finally, the time came now that he had to now finish off his journey there. So he gave one talk in one masjid in Burma, and this talk was recorded. The audio recording of it is still available. There's a transcript of it available. And in this talk, he mentioned something. He said to them that, look, I'm just giving the crux of it in my words, that I'm not any prophet. I'm not any big buzruk that's come here to give any prediction. But sometimes a person, he sees the clouds, and he sees the clouds and he can foresee that it's going to rain. And now, after a while it starts raining, so nobody regards it as some great achievement. Now this was his humility, he put it in those words. But what he said was, that I can see the clouds. And if you don't change your lifestyle, then I fear that you won't, you'll be expelled from this country. That was the words he used. That change your lifestyle, come on to deen, cut out all this wastage. Because it was... A lot of wastage taking place. He says, if you don't do this, I fear that you'll be expelled from this country. Many a times when such people give their advices, give their warnings sometimes, people say this bichara, he came from, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And people just forgot about it, nobody gave any attention to it. Barely one year had passed. And according to some, a few more years, but suddenly that revolution took place in Burma. And people woke up in the morning and came to their factories, came to their shops, came to their businesses, came to other places. The army was standing there. Bring the keys, you know more owning this. If you want to work here, you can work, otherwise you carry on. Many people left on foot from Burma to India. With all that they had was on their bodies, that's all. What they were wearing, what they had in their pockets, and they moved. And they lost everything overnight. Now... This is a lesson for us. It's not Allah Ta'ala protect us and Allah Ta'ala save us. Allah Ta'ala protect the life, the iman, the life, the honor, the wealth, the property of every mu'min. But we need to take a lesson from all these things. We need to bring our life onto the sunnah of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Bring our life onto the ahkam of Allah Ta'ala and the way of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And cut out all these evils from our lives, especially this open sinning. That we come out, every sin is a sin, every sin we have to make every effort to come out of. But especially this open sinning, neither do we get, we conduct our, commit any such open sin, or join somebody else in their open sinning. These weddings is especially an issue, and together with that, the dressing we discussed about, the social media, and all the other things that we discussed, Allah Ta'ala give us a topic, that we understand that how severe these things are, Allah Ta'ala give us the tawfiq of staying away ourselves or advising others in an appropriate way, not 
conducting our weddings and functions in a haram way, not attending haram functions also. We don't have to fight with anybody, we don't have to get into, into any arguments, but we quietly do the right thing in a nice way we advise. Somebody takes the advice, alhamdulillah, somebody doesn't take the advice, we do the right thing. But we don't get ourselves involved in these kind of harams. Allah Ta'ala give us a tawfiq, Allah Ta'ala protect us and save us, Allah Ta'ala keep us steadfast on iman, take us on iman, and raise us on the day of qiyamah with iman. وآخر دعوانا عن الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لا نحصي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك جزا الله عنا نبينا محمدا صلى الله عليه وسلم بما هو أهله ربنا ولمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين رب اغفر وارحم واعفو وتكرم وتجاوز عما تعلم إنك أنت الأعز الأكرم اللهم افتح لنا بالخير واختم لنا بالخير واجعل عواقب أمورنا بالخير بيدك الخير إنك على كل شيء قدير اللهم ثبتنا على الإيمان وأمتنا على الإيمان واحشرنا يوم القيامة مع الإيمان يا مقلب القلوب ثبت قلوبنا على دينك يا مصرف القلوب صرف قلوبنا على طاعتك ربنا هب لنا من أزواجنا وذرياتنا قرة أعين واجعلنا للمتقين إماما ربنا فاغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر عنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا مع الأبرار ربنا وآتنا ما وعدتنا على رسلك ولا تخزنا يوم القيامة ولا تخزنا يوم القيامة ولا تخزنا يوم القيامة إنك لا تخلف الميعاد اللهم إنا نسألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر ما استعاذك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أنت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه المعين والحمد لله